We face threats at every level. Personally, I was probably one of 10 or 15 people just in our classroom who got stuck. Communally, we can confirm a bomb blast in a Christian suburb. Nationally, all civilian aircraft grounded from Los Angeles here to the East Coast. And globally, Bin Laden uh, have sought uh, nuclear materials and uh, bring on board uh, scientists who could help him devise an improvised nuclear device. There are severe threats to our security, but no amount of protection can guarantee us long-term safety if our relationship with God is not secure. The biggest threat faced by everyone is the danger of separation from God. Jesus Christ died for your sins to give you eternal life. When you accept his forgiveness and turn to him, your eternal future is assured. The following briefing is not classified. It should be distributed to as many people as possible. Stand by for further instruction. Good evening. Let's open our Bibles tonight to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 for a message I'm calling, What Now? What Now? Let's, let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we um, invite you f- for this time of teaching to come and probe the depths of our hearts and further instruct us, Lord, I pray, we pray, that you would find soft, workable soil, that we would be open, that we would be receptive, that we would be able to discern between the wheat and the chaff what to keep and retain versus what to throw away. Give us that ability. And I pray, Lord, that like newborn babes, we would desire the pure milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's a guy by the name of Bernard Brown Jr., who is the president of a group called Kennestone Health Management Care in Georgia. Years ago, Bernard Brown Jr. worked at a local hospital. And while he was working at a hospital, there was a patient who accidentally spilled a glass of water. The water landed on the floor. The patient was afraid that if he were to get up, he'd slip on the water. So he simply called the nurse's aide and asked the nurse's aide to clean up the puddle. Well, there was a hospital policy that was recently enacted there that said, if it's a small puddle, a nurse's aide should clean it up. If it's a large puddle, you should call housekeeping. So the nurse's aide came in and looked at the puddle and decided it was a large puddle. She called housekeeping. The housekeeping department came, looked it over, and announced it was a small puddle. So an argument broke out. She said, it's not my responsibility. It's obviously a larger puddle. You clean it up. He said, no, this is really small. You can handle this. And they argued back and forth. The patient in bed is watching this. Finally, the patient takes the pitcher of water and dumps the whole thing on the floor and says, now is that big enough for you two to decide what to do? And the argument was ended. They both cleaned up the puddle. The question for us tonight is, in light of all that we have learned over the last several weeks, what is our personal responsibility? What now? For 11 weeks, and this is the 12th week, We have looked at this topic of homeland security, finding peace in times of terror. 
And we probed that in five different sections, five different fronts. And we discovered that our homes are under attack. Our families are under attack. Our souls are under constant barrage on a number of fronts. The church is under attack. And finally, our own national security is something that is being assaulted. Uh, Some puddles may seem larger to you than others. Some may seem smaller. But how do we apply these truths? Or, Or let me go back to the very first study. How can we become like the children of Issachar? Remember them back in 1 Chronicles chapter 12? It says, the children of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. They were ordinary people involved in an extraordinary battle, and God gave them wisdom. So this is what now? And I've had you turn to Romans chapter 12 as our anchor text tonight. Oh, and by the way, we're going to be joined in just a minute by some friends that you'll recognize that I've asked to help join in this message. It's a little bit unusual. Maybe I should have titled it with a little help from my friends, as you'll see in just a moment. But in the book of Romans, just look at chapter 12 for a moment, Paul spends 11 chapters, just like we spent 11 weeks, he spends 11 chapters discussing what he calls the mercies of God. The mercies of God. And I'm going to give you a quick summation so you understand where he's coming from. He begins the book by declaring everybody in the world because of sin, is cut off and condemned by God. But because of that, everybody in the world can be saved by God, justified. And that's chapters 1 through 3. Then he says that the justification comes by an act of faith. Faith alone in Christ alone, just as Father Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's chapter 4. Then he says, because of that, we now have access to God. We have the hope of heaven and we have shaping through the trials of life. That's chapter five. Then in chapter six through eight, he says that act of justification leads to something even better. And that is sanctification, that God cleans us up, that there's a power outside of ourselves, the power of the Holy Spirit to conquer sin and to help in our prayer life. And again, that's chapters 6 through 8. Then in the next few chapters, Paul declares that God will keep every promise that he made to the nation of Israel as well as to the Gentile world. And that's chapters 9, 10, and 11. All of those comprise the mercies of God. Now, in chapter 12... Paul gets to the very heart of his message. This is the what now section. Look at the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, or I beg you, I plead with you, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we get the gist of what he's saying. Because of all that God has done for you, therefore, this is how you should respond. So tonight, as we recap and revisit these issues, there are two responses we must have. One is the practical presentation of our body to God. Here I am, God. I'm yours fully, totally sold out. That's response number one. A total, absolute, practical presentation of our bodies to God. Second response is an inward transformation of our mind, changing the way we think about the values around us. So a practical presentation and then an inward transformation. All of this is the response to what we see in all of these trends going around us. Somebody once said that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to what happens to you. So here's the first response, a practical presentation. Verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Please notice that this response of presenting our bodies to God is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Present your bodies, he says, as a living sacrifice. Now, the word present is a technical word. It goes way back to the time in Leviticus when the priest would offer a sacrifice on the altar to atone for the sins of the nation. And just as a priest would bring that animal on the altar and present the animal on behalf of the nation, same word, same idea, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Now notice the word living. See, this is very different from the Old Testament sacrifices because as you remember, all of those sacrifices were what? Dead. They killed the animal. They bled the animal. And sometimes they consumed the animal totally by fire. So it's once and for all utterly consumed and given over to God. But Paul says, brethren, make a living sacrifice. That's a little tougher. Because living sacrifices have a tendency to want to squirm off the altar. If you know what I mean. God, I'm giving you my life. Well, on second thought, I'd like that little piece for myself. Just for another few days, then I'll give it right back to you. No, a living sacrifice implies a lifestyle. Now notice it says present your bodies. Why would God want our bodies? In fact, I'll hear Christians talk sometime and they have this false dichotomy like, well, you know, the body's really evil and bad. God didn't really care about the outward. The body is, who cares? It's really about the heart. God does care about your body. You know why? Because your body, if yielded to God, becomes a base of operations for the Holy Spirit to work. Think about your life being sort of like command central, wherever you're at, for the Holy Spirit to work in your neighborhood, in your job, in your classroom. It's the base of operation for the Holy Spirit to operate. That's why the Bible calls our bodies the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is filled with wonderful examples of bodies yielded over to God. I think of the womb of Sarah. Barren, elderly, 
not functioning, but yielded over to God, even though she wasn't too excited about doing it, became a wonderful receptacle for the son of promise, a boy by the name of Isaac. Or I think of Moses' mouth yielded over to God. Moses himself said, God, I can't speak. I'm a man of uncircumcised speech. But yielded over to God, it became a powerful instrument to speak to Pharaoh, to utter the law to the nation. And what about David's hands, huh? He yielded those hands of a shepherd boy over to God, and you put a sling and a stone in those hands. Yielded to God could vanquish Goliath. I think of the feet of Paul the Apostle, who carried the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the truth is, God wants to touch the world through you. And so we present a practical presentation. Something else, notice in verse 1 also, it must be a rational choice. A rational choice. Because he ends that by saying, which is your reasonable service. You know, reasonable? Reasonable is the word logikos. We get the term logical. It just makes sense. It, it makes sense if you think of all that God has done in the past, all of the mercies of God, the way He's provided a way for you to be saved, the way He's provided a way for you to have peace in times of terror and in suffering. It just makes perfect logical sense that you would want to present your body to Him. You would want to commit to God your life because God has committed to you all of the resources necessary for life and godliness. So let's think through the list of those five topics we covered in the last 11 weeks and see if we're presenting ourselves to God. I'm going to put it in question format tonight. Question number one, is your eternal future secure? And you have to answer that tonight in your own heart, in your own mind. Have you presented yourself to God in this area? Is your eternal future secure? If you recall back to one of those first studies, we looked at the leaning tower of Pisa. It's leaning over. One day it will fall, even though it's not fallen yet. One day it will. Why? Bad foundation. What is your life built on tonight? Are you secure? Some people have a false sense of security. That is, they're running through life believing wrongly that they're heaven-bound when they're not heaven-bound. They have the eternal language, but they certainly don't have eternal life. Jesus warned about that when he said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the bottom line is this. If your religion, ever have people say that, oh, you got religion now. Well, if your religion hasn't changed you, I think it's time for you to change your religion. Better yet, to get into a solid relationship with God based on the foundation of Christ and Christ alone. That's that's the beginning point. So some have a false sense of security. Others are secure but have a flimsy sense of security. Meaning, they're saved, but they wake up every day, am I saved? I was saved yesterday, maybe I'm not saved now. And, And they're always fluctuating and never certain about their eternal security. 
And so John wrote in John, 1 John chapter 5, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And if you remember back several weeks, we said, here's the difference. You can always tell a person secure in their salvation. It's like going to an airport and seeing the difference between a ticketed passenger, a confirmed passenger, and a person on standby. You can always tell the difference. If you got your ticket, if you're confirmed, you go get a newspaper, you go grab a meal, you talk to your friends, you take a nap. But if you're on standby, you pace back and forth around the desk, hoping they'll call your name, you dare not leave. Big difference is confidence. Well, let's hear tonight from a friend, and David Jeremiah is going to address this subject for us. This is David Jeremiah, and it's my privilege to address Calvary there in Albuquerque. You know, we live in some very interesting days. These days have more challenges for us as Christ followers than any generation that's ever lived on the face of this earth. And a lot of times Christians can get discouraged as they look around, and it seems like every direction there are issues and problems. Problems with the economy, problems with the war, problems with the culture, problems with our families and with our finances. Where do we go to find the answers to all of these things? Well, since you're in a Bible teaching church, I know you know the ultimate answer to that. It's the Bible itself. But specifically, how do we live in such a day? Well, let me tell you something I've been learning that I think has profound implications for all of us. We need to understand that God has placed us, each of us, you, me, all of us, right now, right here in this generation. We could have been born at any other time, but he chose to place us here. And this is our calling. And we need to embrace that calling and understand that God has placed us as lights in the darkness and salt in the midst of decay. And with all of our hearts, find out what God wants us to do, what part he wants us to play. And when we do that, we'll begin to discover the joy of being used by the Almighty to make a difference in a world that looks like it's in deep trouble. But since we know the last chapter, we know God has an ultimate plan. What a thrill to be included in that plan. A thrill indeed. So what do we do? Well, the Bible says in Corinthians, we should examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. Test ourselves. And then once we've done that, when you know that your life is on a secure foundation, then let it show. Because if you know, it will show. If you don't know about your salvation, it too will show. Then number two, is your family secure? Remember, we spoke about David and the relationship he had with Absalom. We looked into the home life of King David. We saw that it was basically dysfunction junction. We had a passive father who let his children run rampant, who lost the moral high ground and couldn't speak into his son's life any longer. We talked about the family. It's the basic core of any culture. And if you have strong families, that culture, that society will be strong. If you have weak families, that culture, that society will be weak. And there are powerful forces in this culture to undermine your family. Not just media, not just music, not just film, etc. But sometimes 
parents themselves undermine the family. Dr. Jim Dobson said, The Western world stands at a great crossroads in its history. It is my opinion that our very survival as a people will depend on the presence or absence of masculine leadership within the home. Over the past 30 years, the rise in violent crime parallels the rise in families abandoned by fathers. This is very critical. John Fuller is the co-host of Focus on the Family with Dr. Jim Dobson. I've asked him to share a few words on this for us. Well, here at Focus on the Family, we believe the family is foundational to society. And there's no doubt that there are a lot of external pressures on families, a lot of media coming into the home, uh, distorting values, a lot of things out in the educational system. Um, There certainly are patterns that kids are developing that are uh, not healthy for families. And then there are internal things going on with moms and dads very busy. Um, They're sometimes too busy, preoccupied with things to pay much attention to the children and what they need. And so uh, between the external and the internal uh, challenges coming at families, there's no doubt that families are probably under the most stress and strain that they have been uh, forever, at least in this culture. You know, what I've observed is that fathers are very good at setting goals at work and that uh, a lot of dads have no problem throwing all their emotional energies into their work. And then they go home spent, and they pretty much check out from, from that role that God has given them as a father to the children in the home. Um, so I feel badly for dads who are missing it by, by pouring 100% into the work world and then going home with nothing. Um, the truth of the matter is, most of us are replaceable at work. But with that God-given role in the family, we're irreplaceable. And so dads... Uh, Dads I talk to, I just encourage them to make time, make the energy, make some plans to be intentional in their parenting with their kids because if you don't pour into the child's life, the culture will. And what the culture gives is probably antithetical to your value system and and long-term is going to harm that child. So speak into the child's life. We've got to be ready and willing when they want to talk And we have to be far more intentional than we are setting goals for their spiritual milestones, helping those kids navigate life so that when they leave the home, they're ready to be fruitful, productive citizens, and more importantly, men and women of God. Picking up on that phrase, men and women of God, the potential in becoming one of those intentional parenting. It begins like Joshua who said to the nation as the leader, not only of his nation, but of his home, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Parents, think of yourselves as partners with God in discipling your children. Third question, is your home secure? You remember that Nehemiah wept over the city of Jerusalem when he heard that the gates were burned with fire and that the walls were broken down. Now, as the gatekeeper to your own soul... And as gatekeepers to the souls of your children, of your family, what are you letting in the gates? What are you allowing your eyes to see and your ears to hear? Though you may have wonderful homes and fancy security systems, what's going in through those little holes called the Internet and cable television? 
What good is it to build up the walls of our lives, Bible study, prayer, fellowship, when we're letting enemies in through the gates? Proverbs 25, verse 28 declares, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. If you have no self-control that you exercise, you are an easy victim. Now let's turn our attention and hear what Raul Reese has to say about this very subject, especially of computers in the home. Hi, this is Pastor Raul Reese. I want to say hi to the Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque. And we're here to speak about the homeland security problem. Well, one of the things about computers, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Especially, uh, I have counseled so many men uh, that have computers in their homes. And the problem of going to those websites that destroy men's character and it destroys their marriage because of what they're actually dialed into, pornography. And it's a real situation where men have literally lost hope for their wives and their children and began to do things that are not really biblical. The only way that you can be helped from pornography is the Bible says this, to wash your mind with the Word of God. That is to be in the Word of God, read the Word of God, and to pray every day and to confess and repent of your sins and to stay away from your computer, from those websites. And if you turn on the television, not to go to those channels or limit your television to just regular public viewing. Spiritually, it means you got to get rid of the sin. And the way to get rid of the sin, you really have to, number one, repent of your sins And number two, as you repent, not keep the same problem before you. And the only way to really uh, be careful with that is to never go back to reading or watching or listening to anything that is not decently in order according to the Word of God, especially pornography. It's a big word and it's killing and destroying our country, our nation and marriages. Yes, victory is very possible. It's up to a person to submit and to yield themselves to the Holy Spirit and to surrender your life, to really truly repent and never go back to that sin. They will blind you and they will kill you. I want to say, I can't believe it. It's neat. I just can't resist when I hear Raul. I just love him. Well, it only makes sense then, doesn't it, that we would want to present our bodies, as Raul would say, completely to God. In this area especially. Men, women, children all around. Next question, number four, is, is your church secure? If you remember, we went back to Luke 21 where Jesus promised that anyone who will follow him will not have an easy road. That becoming a believer and going to church isn't going to be a walk in the park. But rather, he said, you're going to be hated by the religious establishment. He said, they will deliver you up to the synagogue. And some of you know exactly what it is to be persecuted by your religious family and friends. You gave your life to Christ and they like the old you better than the new you. You could be religious, their religion, going to church, just party and do all that you used to do. But this new Christian Bible thing, this is like way over the top. Then Jesus said, not only that, but you'll be hated by the secular world. In his words, brought before kings and rulers. He said, you'll be hated by your family, betrayed by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. And we looked at the persecution around the world. And here's a sobering truth. 
It's estimated, if you took all Christians worldwide, that it's estimated that one in every 200 Christians can expect to be martyred in his or her lifetime. And that kind of hatred is on the rise, not just overseas, but even in our own shores. But there's a much greater threat, if you recall back, we studied about some of the trends that are afoot in the church, and that's the battle over the truth. Paul the Apostle said, the time is coming when they will not endure sound doctrine. And for a couple weeks we touched on a very disturbing trend, all under the banner of the emerging church. It's sort of a spiritual terrorism, a subtle sabotaging of the truth. In fact, the leaders are saying, it's not even possible for you to know what truth really is. Brian McLaren, sort of the spokesperson for it, said, I don't know if anyone has ever gotten the gospel right. Close quote. Well, anyone would include Paul. Anyone would include Peter. Anyone would include John to say they've never gotten the gospel right and all of a sudden they've come on the scene to enlighten us is disturbing. Now I've asked Josh McDowell to say a few words about this topic and especially what he calls the last Christian generation. Let's listen to Josh. Hello Albuquerque. Hi, I'm Josh McDowell and greetings to my friends at Calvary. I am so thankful you're taking time to look at homeland security. But what we need to realize is that in Jesus Christ, we can have a phenomenal peace right in the midst of terror. That book was probably the hardest book I ever had to start on a topic. I didn't want to write it, but I felt I had to. It's more like a 21st century Christian manifesto. As I have worked with young people now for 47 years, traveling, speaking, writing, interacting, I have concluded that this generation of young people in general, not specifically, but in general, they are not a Christian generation. Not by what they believe and how they behave. And so when I wrote The Last Christian Generation, the last Christian generation are not our young people. It's the parents. And oh, it hurts to say that. But I couldn't have written the first half of that book unless I believed there were positive, biblically-based, culturally relevant answers, one family at a time. I'm picking up on a phrase he just said, culturally relevant answers. And I'll tell you, in this postmodern era, and even with the emerging church saying there are only mysteries and no answers, When you give culturally relevant answers, it makes a huge difference. Because what postmodernism is doing is creating a whole generation of disillusioned people who are groping for the truth. So the solution isn't to drag the gospel down to their level, but to lift people up to the level of the truth. And to preach the truth. And as I mentioned then, and I'll say again, I want you to be the best fed and most loved congregation in the state. But I also want you personally to be discerning when it comes to what is true and what is not true. To have a good filtering system. Fifth question. Are you telling others how to be secure? Are you seeing the opportunities that are in our world? We considered for two weeks Islam. Think about it, 20% of the world's population 
is Muslim. One out of every five people on planet Earth is Muslim. 1.3 billion people, and they would love to see that spread worldwide. One new mosque opens every week in the United States. Then we also considered radical Islam, that there's a whole section under that banner of Islam, not all of them, but some of them, and a significant amount, that want to see the great Satan, that would be you and me, the United States, utterly destroyed, along with the little Satan, that would be Israel, obliterated, utterly destroyed. We mentioned in one of the studies Osama bin Laden. Did you know that bin Laden refers to 9-11 as, on that blessed Tuesday, September 11th, That was a threshold moment for that man and for some of these radicals. But what about the opportunity? We looked at the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And here's what we discovered. No one under any circumstance is beyond the reach of the gospel. Saul was a first century terrorist. And Jesus Christ got a hold of his life. Someone that people thought no way will he ever become a believer. God got a hold of him. And all over the Islamic world, thousands upon thousands every day are coming to Christ. And I'm going to ask now Joel Rosenberg, and um, you'll see up on the screen Kamal Salim both together to tell us about what's happening briefly in that part of the world. One of the things I think that people don't realize, even evangelical Christians, uh, is how powerfully... God is moving in the Middle East right now and how the church is growing leaps and bounds. I mean, literally more Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus Christ today in the Middle East than at any other time in the history of the world. And uh, Jesus did say, of course, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm not so sure Christians really believed that when it came to the Muslim world for centuries and centuries and centuries. But now we are seeing absolute miracles going on uh, in the epicenter right now. Muslims are coming to Christ all over the Mideast today. He's taking radical Muslims who are about to kill innocent people and saying, rise up, you are my warrior. There was a series of assassinations of uh, Iranian Christian leaders back in the early 1990s. And as those began to unfold, a lot of Christian ministries told their top leadership, you need to get out of the country at least for a while. It's not safe. And so phone calls started moving around. And these guys from the Iranian uh, Bible Society uh, got the call, told you got to get out of the country as fast as you can. So just because of what they do, they just grabbed a bunch of boxes of um, Bibles in the Iranian language of Farsi, put them in the backseat and began driving up into the mountains as fast as they could. Well, as they did this, a rainstorm began to coming in and it got harder and harder. And they're up in these winding mountain roads that are very narrow. And suddenly their steering wheel locks up. By God's grace, the car just stopped right on the edge of this cliff. And suddenly, startled, they look over and there's a man's face in their window. The man said, do you have the books? And they're like, what are you talking about? And the man told the story. He said, you see that village up at the top of that hill? Well, that's where I live. And a couple, uh, about a week ago, um, I had a vision. Jesus told him, go down the mountain and wait by the side of the road, and someone will bring you my book that will tell you how to live. So he tells the story, and these two guys from the Iranian Bible Society are like, well, okay then. <laughs> I guess that's why we're here. 
So they pull out these book, these Bibles, and start giving to him. And this man, he just begins to weep. He, he took the Bibles, put them under his coat, hiked back up the mountain. They turned the car back on. The steering wheel worked. They drove out of the country. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? Do you remember in that story of Saul of Tarsus in the book of Acts, there was a guy named Ananias who had, he had a label over Saul of Tarsus. I have heard how many evil things he's done to harm your people. And I wonder what labels we place over people's lives that the Lord would want to take down and transform those people and make those believers in Jesus Christ. So practical presentation. Here I am, Lord. Here is my body devoted to you. Second, and we'll close with this, is an inward transformation. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God is calling you to non-conformity. Don't conform to this world. I love the way the Phillips translation puts it. Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. You know, one of the greatest fears people have is to be rejected by the group, their peers, to somehow be different. That's why we conform. That's why we conform to the way the world thinks about what spirituality should be like. It's why we conform to what the world considers the family is to look like. It's why we conform to watching what the world watches on TV, etc. Years ago, there was a group of scientists who put caterpillars on top of a clay pot. Really interesting experiment. They, they put them head to tail, head to tail, all the way around so it was a solid ring of caterpillars around a clay pot and watched as they marched and marched and marched around, 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 not just for an hour, but for a day and a second day and a third day. And all week they marched around till they died of starvation and exhaustion. Never once did one caterpillar break away from the group to get nourishment because inside the pot was a plant. They just followed each other and followed each other and died. And that's what the world is doing. Processional caterpillars were not to conform to the world. We're to be transformed. Our thinking is to be renewed. Look at that last phrase as we close. But you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, your mind matters to God. Your mind matters to God. Jesus said you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we are either conforming to one or two value systems. The value system of God and His Word or the value system of this world. So we should think deeply through these issues, and as we see any of these issues, compare it with the lens that shapes our thinking, and that is the Word of God, that we would think His thoughts. James Montgomery Boyce wrote this, People aren't thinking anymore. Brain cells are seriously under-exercised. Contemplation has become an old-fashioned word with little place in our fast-paced, high-tech world. For thinking, we have substituted entertainment. The substitution has been so effective that many of us believe that entertainment actually makes us think. 
We think of ourselves as being the best informed generation in history because of television. But television is not informing us, it's entertaining us, and there is a difference. So, break away from the crowd. Dare to be different. Dare to think differently. And if you think biblically, I'll guarantee you, you will be thinking very differently than the rest of the crowd. Think differently about your need for a spiritual walk and a foundation. Think differently about your need to nurture your family. Think differently about securing your soul and your home from soul thieves. Think differently about securing the church and standing up for the truth. And let's not argue over petty little things like, is that a big puddle or a little puddle? Just let's get a towel and all together clean it up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the last, well now, 12 weeks as we have discussed the security of the believer, how secure we are because we know you the joy and the peace that can be ours as we march through life toward eternity. Amen. Thank you for your attention during this latest briefing on Homeland Security, Peace in Times of Terror. Remember, this briefing is not classified and should be shared with everyone. If, while listening to this briefing, you made a decision to find assurance of salvation through a relationship with Jesus Christ, contact our well-trained staff immediately. They will provide you with resources that will equip you to deepen your relationship with the only real source of peace in times of terror. Call toll-free 1-800-922-1888. That's 1-800-922-1888. You can also contact our offices by addressing any correspondence to The Connection, P.O. Box 95707, Albuquerque, New Mexico, 87199. Online resources can be found at ConnectionRadio.org and HomelandSecurity08.org. Thanks again for your attention, and please plan now to attend next week's briefing at this same time.